0: You know, I think that if people are spending their time on anything, they should they should be spending more time on creating a great product. Because I think that a lot of the times, particularly when I'm looking over the information product space these days, you know, you have guys preaching that you should spend twenty 20- or Twenty percent of your time creating something and eighty percent of your time marketing it, which you know might sound smart, but is actually terrible, terrible advice. I want to be my current self from this point forward. I want to learn how to play piano. Working with human beings, drinking wine in the middle of the day. I want to be a. Five- off track I'm going to be the next greatest painter. Just
1: kind of work with kids. Getting them ahead and life. I want to be a welder. I want to be a beach bum. I want to be
0: a baseball player.
1: Brewmaster. A
0: winemaker. Professional snuggler. Let me mention those sweet, hot lavender baths and writing in the evening.
1: What's up, everybody? This is Blake Fletcher, the Half Hour Intern. I just want to say that you guys are in for a treat with this episode. Brent Underwood, the gentleman that I speak with, is one of the most creative, smart interesting people that i have ever talked to and a huge shout out and thank you to a listener keith ramirez who actually suggested brent for the show he stayed at brent's hostel in austin and uh got a chance to sit down and talk with brent there and was equally impressed by brent and recommended brent for the show so that's how this all went down so first of all brent owns a hostel in austin texas called hk austin but that's not really what we talk about because um as some of you guys know i've already interviewed a Hostel Owner on the show. Um, So if you want to hear about that, you can go back and listen to the Hostel Owner episode. What Brent also does, and the main thing that we talk about on this show, is he is a partner at Brass Check, which is this amazing cutting edge is like the wrong way to even put it just absolutely mind-blowing ideas that these people come up with as a creative advisory and marketing firm and they do work with everyone from google to tony robbins to tim ferris to american apparel and tons and tons and tons of big name authors and the list just goes on and on and on so brent has created marketing plans for over 20 new york times best-selling books he works with music artists as well he tells a story about how he broke a music artist um here in the u.s well actually all over the world and got them record offers for um, every major record label when you know months before no one even knew who this person was it, it it's one of the more incredible stories i've ever heard so anyways without further ado here is creative marketing guru brent thanks so much for coming on the show man
0: Yeah, great. Thanks for having me. Absolutely.
1: So I am like very selfishly excited to have you on the show because as someone that recently started my own business, I could use all the help I could get, like (laughs) advice, any tips you got. And not only are you this like marketing guru genius, but you also started your own business last year and had to really, really apply all this crazy marketing knowledge that you have to your own thing. So I imagine that that kind of like has really shaped some of the marketing ideas that you had.
0: Oh yeah, absolutely. Looking forward to chatting.
1: Awesome, man. Um why don't we start with your history a little bit and how it is that you became a partner at Brasscheck? I I uh it's so interesting to me that you could like hold this prestigious position at Brasscheck at such a young age. How did this all go down?
0: Sure, yeah. Uh it all came about as I was I went to school for finance and real estate, so I didn't really have any background in marketing or books or Uh, Anything in that way. But an author that I looked up to and kind of followed um, for a while named Tucker Max was looking for a research assistant. You know, he kind of just put out a blind tweet on Twitter, uh, looking for somebody to help him organize his thoughts for his upcoming book. I reached out, as well as I think three thousand or four thousand people, or something along those Whoa. lines. <laughs> and uh, apparently, it was a pretty hot position. So, you know, Tucker made us go through a bunch of different hurdles and hoops and all sorts of little trial periods of testing us out if we'd be a good fit. And after, I guess I was one of the finalists. And after about a week, he's like, "You know what? You're not, you're just not that great at this. But I like <laughs> you as a person." And being a generous person that he is, he offered to introduce me to his friend who at the time was working on a book. His friend was a, a guy named Ryan Holiday. And at the time, Ryan was 23 or 24, and he was a director of marketing at American Apparel. So I figured, you know, this guy obviously has something uh, good to stay or something that he could teach me. This is like uh, <laughs> we
1: talked about this a little bit before, but this is so so incredible to me. So first of all, Ryan Holiday is is now a big author. Like back then he wasn't, and I I like fell in love with one of his books. Uh, but uh, the fact that he was the director of marketing for American Apparel at twenty three years old is absolutely insane. Like I can't even fathom that. That that just blows my mind.
0: Yeah, no, he's he's certainly, you know, people say the term whiz kid. I would say Ryan's certainly a whiz kid. Um, he's he's as sharp as they come. And at the time, he, he hadn't written a book yet. So he was working on a book called Trust Me, I'm Lying, kind of his first entry point into the publishing world. Uh, it was about the things that he learned, you know, working for Tucker, working at American Apparel and working with some other authors. And Ryan's deal to me was kind of like, you know, I can't pay you, but if you'd like to work for me for six months for free, I'll teach you everything that I know about marketing. And it uh, seemed like a pretty good deal at the time. And looking back, it might have been one of the best decisions I ever made because uh, Ryan taught me just so much and opened up my wor- eyes to the kind of the world of publishing, marketing, uh, media manipulation, just everything that I really had no exposure to in school. And so shortly after that, due to the success of the book, Ryan and Tucker started a company uh called Story Arc. It was a kind of an all-in-house book publishing and marketing and kind of advising company that grew to be about I think we were 12 or 13 people and I was I was the first employee in that that company ended up splitting up uh about a year and a half ago I think and then Brashcheck was formed with three partners including myself and a guy named Niels Parker who is the who is Tucker Max's editor for a really long time and just probably one of the best writers in the world. And so the three of us kinda of started off brass check and shortly after we're joined by a fourth partner, a guy named Jimmy Sonny, who is the former managing editor of the Huffington Post. So he kind of is another publishing badass. We grew that from, I think, 300 million page views to 4.5 billion page views or something along those lines. And so together, yeah, today we just kind of advise, consult, construct uh, a bunch of books. We work with different startups, media companies, and uh, a few musicians as well. So it's, it's a lot of fun. It's certainly a lot of fun.
1: That's, yeah, your company is so interesting, man. When you click on the... Um the partners piece on the website for brass check and you're looking over the people that other gentleman that you were just mentioning that you guys brought on later from huffington post it's like it said that he was the uh like basically like their head editor like the lead dude yeah, so- at 26 years old which again it's like who are these young like you guys are all so young to be having this success that you're having it's it's absolutely amazing and so inspiring
0: yeah, I'm I'm extremely humbled to be able to be around those three every single day because they are all certainly smarter than myself, um, and I learn <laughs> from them every day. And Jimmy, yeah, Jimmy was number two right after Ariane Huffington, and he kind of built that from the ground up. And so he was another, again, publishing badass. And so all together, yeah, it's quite a formidable uh, collection of people at this point.
1: Yeah, and so with Brass Check, it looks like you guys do a lot of marketing for authors, like for books, for media. Um, I know you also represent some musicians. Um, is that kind of your your niche is that it's not so much products, but more, well, I guess a book is a product. Um, but I don't know. There's something like a little bit different about all sure. those things, you know?
0: Yeah, it, it all kind of started with books. Books was almost the exclusive thing that we did for the first bit of time just because, you know, Tucker had so many contacts in the uh, publishing world and Ryan working for Tucker had really – crafted his skills in the publishing world as well and neil's being an editor it just made sense that you know we would keep we would stick to books for a while and at the very beginning you know we were mainly marketing books um for authors once they've kind of like they'd sold it to a publisher they were looking for a little bit of outside pr support maybe some different crazy ideas um, to kind of get some press attention and they would come to us and we would help them out and you know Due to the success of some of the first books that we worked on, you know, word of mouth took over. And at this point, yeah, we try to, I think we've worked on about 30 New York Times bestsellers in the last few years. Um, And it's just every day we get, we just, I feel very lucky for the clients that we get to work with because in a way I get paid to read, which I think everybody should do more of. And so it's a pretty, it's a pretty good gig. I'll put it that way
1: dude that is awesome um i also saw like on the uh on the musician side that one of your artists is zed's dead which is ironic because tomorrow i'm flying to miami to leave on holy ship um and i saw zed's dead for the first time on holy ship a couple years ago and uh it was awesome but how how are you also managing these artists
0: No way! Nice. Yeah, Zed's dead. They're great. I actually spoke to them uh, two days ago. They're they're working on next album right now. That should be pretty, pretty fantastic. Uh, The musician thing all came about was a friend of mine in New York. I was living in New York City at the time, and he's a young manager. He was managing an artist named Young and Sick. And Young and Sick at the time didn't have any songs out. He was kind of you know trying to think of how can we get this out in an interesting way to kind of create some attention around it. And you know, I had just started working with Tucker and Ryan. Uh, a mutual friend connected us and we kind of chatted a little bit hit it off great created what we felt was you know just a genius marketing plan for getting his music out there and it turned out to be extremely, to be extremely successful. Uh, Nick, Young and Sick, ended up getting record deals from, uh, every major record label out there within a month or two, I think, from even launching the first demo, which the timeline of that is just insane. And since has gone on to perform at, you know, Coachella, ACL, uh, all the major festivals around the country and has really blown up and kind of due to the success of Young and Sick, um, he has an agent, a guy named Max Braun, who represents a lot of electronic artists. And so that's how I got connected with Zed's Dead, um, Elangelo, another guy guys we work with, and a bunch of people in that world all come from uh, kind of success of Young and Sick, I would say.
1: Okay, I have so many questions about that. So <laughs> first of all, for the Young and Sick thing, who was paying for any of this? Like if he hadn't even broken yet as an artist, like who was paying for this?
0: One thing that uh, nobody is the answer to that question. The reason that nobody was paying for that is because... Nick um, and this is I guess a lesson in itself he's such a nice guy so if you ever meet Nick Young and Sick he's probably one of the nicest people you ever meet mm-hmm. in your life and you just you know Nice people, you just want to help out, you know. He was a nice person, and he created amazing art. And I really believed in the art and the music and the sound, and just wanted to really have a sandbox to play in and see if certain ideas would work. When people are paying you, you know, some are book clients; they have certain expectations, and they're not down to do certain things. Nick really early on was like, "Listen, you know, we have nothing to lose. Let's just go for it." And so, you know, it was a sandbox to explore around and test ideas with, and that's kind of like uh, what kept me involved with it. And it was just an extremely rewarding experience because now Nick and his manager, Aaron, are two of my closest friends in the world. And we've gotten many clients from it. And now kind of the stunts and things that we did early on, I've seen reprinted in the Wall Street Journal, LA Times, all sorts of different places talk about kind of the early days of young and sick and kind of the, some of the stunts that we did back in the day.
1: Okay, cool. So you can talk about it. That was going to be the other piece. So that was going to be like, is this like your secret sure. sauce and you're not allowed to say like what some of these things were? Like, how the hell do you get all these offers for somebody? I mean, in today's like, music landscape.
0: Yeah, so, like, I mean, with him early on, you had to think about what's the story going to be, because anytime the press is looking to write about something, they want, what's the story? You know, what's the hook that they can really latch into and create a headline around or create um a story around and nick sings in a pretty high octane he's he's a pretty high singer so it can easily be confused with a girl if uh he's if he's not singing uh in a certain way and so you know early on we kind of went with this anonymous thing Uh, a lot of artists have done it since but at the time it wasn't as played out where we weren't going to release any press photos uh it was always going to be referred to as he or she or they or a group but never like Consistent, So we would always confuse people. I remember one time we had Spin Magazine on the phone and I would alternate between he and she every other sentence, just driving the person insane, oh, trying to damn. figure out uh, who this person was. Um, but as far as getting attention for it, you know, a lot of times I think people start and they're like, you know, how can I be in the New York Times? And that's not... The best way to do it, you know, if, if anything, Ryan outlined this best holiday in his book, Trust Me, I'm Lying is, you know, there's this concept of trading up the chain where, you know, you kind of start with a small blog that might have a smaller audience, but significantly easier, uh, significantly lower entries to bear or barriers to entry. So for us, you know, the end goal. For the first demo we were ever gonna put out was to get onto Pitchfork. You know, Pitchfork is you know kind of the the curator, the tastemaker in the scene, and we knew that if Pitchfork got a hold of it. A lot of other blog attention would come, but instead of trying to send you know a thousand blind emails to Pitchfork and never getting to respond to. A better way to look at it is like, where does Pitchfork get their stories from? You know, what blogs do they read? Go down a level and try to figure out, you know, like what those guys read and kind of like, can we get picked up on there and translate that back into a Pitchfork article? So there's actually a blog named Rose Quartz. It's called, I think it's rosequartz.blogspace.com. It's a really small blog, but Pitchfork uh we've kind of like heard through the grapevine always looked towards rose quartz to like pick up kind of the new and interesting sounds how do you find
1: how do you find out info like that
0: that one was just kind of like a through the through the grapevine we're just asking around asking different people but another way to do is like go to a pitchfork writer's twitter account and see who he follows right and so if he's following some small blog then if you can appear in that guy's Timeline. Then you have a better chance of you know at least being on his radar Mm, than uh, a blind email. So that's 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 kind of another way to do it. And then you know once once you do get picked up by that smaller blog, don't leave anything at a chance. Certainly, you know then we Rose Quartz wrote about it. I think on let's say a Thursday, uh, and then sure enough, Pitchfork wrote about it on that Friday, the following day. And you know from there, Nick started to get a little bit of attention, um, and then he got a smallish record deal offer from from france they they offered him a th- you know like low six figures let's call it, for a couple albums so it stretched stretched out and you know different payment structures it wasn't gonna be enough to live on even
1: wait brent um, hang on one sec so did you sure. uh did you how you said about not leaving things to chance after after you got picked up to do an article on rose quartz did you then reach out to Pitchfork, or Pitchfork just reach out to you, or they they just posted it without even letting you know, um, because we- indeed they were reading it.
0: Again, like, a, like a, yeah, you're you're right to pick up on that. We didn't leave anything to chance. We shot that, shot the email over, shot the link to the article over to Pitchfork uh, from an email account. You know, we just kind of created an email account, sent that over, said this this might be something that you're interested in, and sometimes that's all it takes to get in front of a to get in front of a blogger because you have to figure, you know, they're always looking for content. So you know, kind of tying back into an overarching thing, that is if you can create something good and something worth talking about. Uh, Bloggers would write, love to write about it. There's, a, I think there's a lot of times misconceptions that, you know, it's difficult to get press and, you know, like they're kind of holding all the cards when really it's kind of uh, a seller's market if you have something interesting to say. And Nick's, Nick's music at the time was interesting enough where we know that, you know, one tip over there um, could probably do it. And sure enough, uh, it did, I guess.
1: Wow. Awesome, man. <laughs>
0: Yeah, it was, uh, it was an interesting experience. And then come time to release a second song, we knew we had to do something bigger. And another thing that we I try to think about when we're doing marketing is kind of like, let's call it a handle. So something that you can pick up on the story or product and carry it over to your friend. So when you go into a friend, and how many times has your, fr- has your friend said, man, you should really check out this music, you think you'd like it, and then you forget about it. But if it's in a context of a story, it's like, oh, did you see when this band did this so like did you ever hear about when the band released that spotify album that was completely silent so the fans would just play it overnight but it would just charge spotify over and over and over to like uh to their account and they ended up making i think a hundred thousand dollars about on it i didn't
1: but i won't forget that now that's (laughs) crazy
0: (laughs) so we were trying to think of like handles like that and so at the time uh nick was still anonymous still nobody knew what he looked like um at the time we didn't have any social media presence at all and so we really tried to play into the anonymous scene and all that type of thing and Tor was was kind of just becoming pretty popular you know like the the dark web or what they call it like the underweb where you know it's a CD underground where drugs are sold and the silk market was down there and all these different types of things very encrypted and anonymous internet and so kind of in passing around drinks, as the best ideas typically happen, uh, we, we thought, what if we release this song on tour uh, instead of releasing through a major publisher and kind of go about it that way? And so, you know, after a, bit, a little bit of planning, we created a tour onion is what they're called. It's kind of like a page down on the tour browser, um, pitched it to a guy at the business insider and we're like, you know, have you heard about tour? It's really crazy. You can buy like guns down there and drugs and all these different things. And he was interested enough. And then at the same time we're like, and you know, this musician is, is releasing a song down there, which is crazy. Um, and so the first pickup was a business insider pickup and it was a outline of tour and that article just took off. I think it did 1.4 million views or something along those lines. And then
1: Wait, so you our, were you were writing to this to this person, a business insider, on the guise of just like, Hey, have you ever written an article about Tor? Let me kind of right. tell you about it. And not under the guise of, hey, uh, we want to tell you about this artist.
0: Right, exactly. So we were kind of baking that into the story as part of the story. Because we knew that like we'd go in for a more specific ask afterwards, but just generally getting the name up there to begin with was kind of the first part of the first part of the equation, I guess. Yeah. And uh, like I said, bloggers are always hungry for great content so if you can give them an idea like that you know they have a page view quota so that probably met his page view quota for the month so really you know he should be thanking us in a certain way of looking at it yeah, i guess
1: totally um, so you were you were like blowing my fucking mind right now like all <laughs> like people should be paying you so much money for like i don't know how much people pay brass check but it should be crazy amounts of money like these ideas you've only gone over a couple of ideas and it's like unbelievably unique and good
0: yeah. And, it, it, and this one even got even better. The the thing that really got the record deals is that after we had the thing on Business Insider, and so we had a small, small mention of Nick on there, you know, it was like, and this LA band Young and Sick released a song on there. Then we went over to a reporter at Forbes that covered kind of security and privacy and things that I knew this would be up their alley. And I wrote to him and I was like, listen, you know, I, I read this big article from Business Insider. I saw it blew up. Very interesting. Um, I work with the, the musician that that, is mentioned in the article, young and sick. And in fact, he not only just released it down there, he turned down record deals to release it down there because he stands for privacy so much. You know, and at the time, privacy was kind of one of those news topics that was really buzzy. Mm -hmm. And, you know, with that many kind of hooks in one email to the, to the reporter, he quickly picked up on it. He wanted proof that there was record label deals that were being denied to put it down there. And then the headline that he wrote was just—you know—I couldn't have crafted it better if I wrote myself. The headline on Forbes was, "Why this artist turned down six-figure recording deals to release a song on the darkest part of the internet." And that was—and <laughs> this is this is the second song the guy's ever put out, you know. So if if you're watching his career, you're like, "Wow, damn!" His first demo was on Pitchfork. Now he's written about it on Forbes and on Business Insider, and it was kind of a a ball of momentum and. And, if, point, and again, if he didn't
1: meet you guys, it would have been like nothing. I mean, it would have been like anybody else. You know, he would have, like put him up on his little personal SoundCloud or something, and that would have
0: been that. Sure, I think that like he still would have got there because his music is so good. But like, it was certainly pouring some fire on the ga- uh, pouring some gasoline on the fire and, and kind of uh, helping it along. And then from there, you know, again, not leaving anything to chance, sending that link around a little bit uh, to more music blogs. Um, As well as major labels, you know, just inquiry forms on major labels. And then his manager, Aaron, does have some connections uh, within the music industry. And kind of getting that article in front of the right people, suddenly there's an urgency like, wow, this kid's blowing up after two songs. And then shortly after, yeah, the kind of record label deal is just kind of flooded in and he ended up... uh over at Capitol Records and then ended up later signing a publishing deal with Universal Records. And at this point, yeah, like I said, it has a very successful both music and art career.
1: That is so cool, man. That is so <laughs> incredible. So earlier, before you even kind of got into that story, um, when you were talking about the different things that, um, that Ryan Holiday, one of your partners at Brass Check, taught you about when you started working with him, was media manipulation. So I, like, I wrote that down because I know that that's what his first book was about. And it well, one of the topics covered in his first book. And I, I haven't read his first book yet, which I need to. Um, but I, I wanted to ask you more about that concept. But I, I feel like you kind of just went over that concept. Is that right? Yeah, that,
0: that's a lot of it. You know, Ryan back in the day it was a little bit even more, you know, working with American Apparel. He had the freedom where Dove, the founder, you know, is a very creative guy and kind of open to, doing whatever necessary to kind of get media attention and ryan had a great again sandbox to play around with and he would just do you know trust me i'm lying i can't recommend it higher higher but uh it kind of outlines it in even more detail but sure just kind of giving any bloggers what they would want for the perfect story and kind of like running with that story whether they there's half-baked truths in there or anything along those lines um Yeah, there's certainly a world that I'd never been exposed to and made me question pretty much every single article that I read online to this day. uh, I know that there's somebody behind it doing something to influence uh, the content within it. So it was certainly a... Uh, a groundbreaking book in a, many ways.
1: Yeah, man. It's such a crazy world that we're living in in like the things that yeah that you don't see um that are just there. It's it's so in, like it's interesting as soon as anyone like pulls back the veil on something like that for you which like I didn't really know about this until you said this but uh in a few weeks I'll be interviewing somebody that does um uh Whatchamacallit? Like influencer marketing for mm-hmm. you know like Twitter and Instagram and stuff like that. And uh, like I, you know, when I first learned about that, I was like, You gotta you gotta be kidding me. Like this is what's <laughs> happening? Like, no way. And then it just changes the way that you are on Instagram. And, you know, it changes the way you look at any photo. It changes the way and you know, yeah. for you, like, and now learning this, like now when I read any article anywhere, I mean half of the articles are basically written by the companies themselves. Like, you know, you can see that in the article, it's very obvious but even these news stories that that are obviously written by the news organization might have had a big influence by you know any of the the businesses mentioned in there it's just, god it's just so interesting and like, terrible and going, it's interesting and of- terrible
0: Exactly. And tracing back even to like what we did on a small scale of like trading up the chain, a small blog to a bigger blog to a bigger blog, you know, somewhere along the lines, somebody assumes that it's been fact-checked. So, you know, your local blog might not have the fact-checking standards that let's say NBC News does, but NBC News – so say you start with a local blog, then you get on a little bigger blog. The local blog doesn't do any fact-checking, but then the, lo- the medium-sized blog isn't going to fact-check because they assume that the other one did, and then the next size blog isn't going to fact-check because they assume somebody else did, and then eventually, you know – how ryan says uh and that's how unreal news becomes reality is kind of you know uh as you're trading it along there's a certain expectation that somebody's fact checking when in reality probably nobody is
1: yeah wow just so crazy <laughs> and i uh, from what i read on amazon that like the the very latter portion of the book ryan is kind of saying that this needs to change and that we shouldn't really be doing this anymore
0: yeah certainly you know because his I remember having this discussion with him prior to putting out the book. He thought this was kind of going to end his career as a marketer. He was writing it because he wanted to expose it because he was tired of kind of people getting hurt because of the way the media cycle worked and all that type of stuff. Um, when in reality, and Tucker was the only one that pointed this out, is that more people just kind of start reaching out to him to try to have him do that for them um, and was kind of the basis of the first company that started Story Arc.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, dude, you answered so many of the questions that I wanted to, in in that story, you answered so many of the questions that I wanted to ask you um, just about some different like marketing things here and there. And like I, for instance, on your site, I, you talk about helping artists um, maintain their media narrative. And I'm just like, what even does that mean exactly? And like, how essential is that? Um, But that obviously all makes sense through that story. But I, I guess I wonder it like a lot of people try to tell you that that you know cream will always rise to the top and if you put out a great product like it's going to get you know attention anyways like to what extent is someone like you that 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 has worked on so much uh in the marketing world and has had to manipulate media and stuff like that to what extent do you believe that that's true i mean it's very interesting and difficult when um like for someone like myself. So I'll just go ahead and open up here, like my personal story starting this podcast and you know, I I personally didn't even have any like social media presence at all like f- on a personal level before starting this podcast so then I had to like create all these things and and then I, I launched the podcast and I'm like okay who do I reach out to so I just start telling all my friends and it's like well how many friends do I honestly have you know like that I can tell about my podcast and luckily now as I get get better at the podcast and everything I'm starting to get more press and I was featured by um, this big app and stuff like that which has been super awesome. Um, but it's this very scary thing when you start your own business and you're like dang like am i supposed to just wait here for success like if you're if you're a singer and you have an absolutely astounding voice are you just supposed to wait for people to hear your astounding voice or do you feel that there is almost a need in today's world to like create these media narratives for your brand and for your business otherwise it's just going to get you're just going to get swallowed up in this never ending amount of content
0: yeah so i think that um, part of what you're getting as kind of a field of dreams mentality, where if you build it, they will come, which, you know, in today's day and age may or may not happen. But, um, you know, I think that if people are spending their time on anything, they should, they should be spending more time on creating a great product. Because I think that a lot of the times, particularly when I'm looking over the information product space these days, you know, you have guys preaching that you should spend 20 years, 20% 20% of your time creating something and 80% of your time marketing it, which you know might sound smart, but is actually terrible, terrible advice. I was actually listening to a podcast interview with a guy who runs an extremely successful motivational website, and he says that he spends a third of the time creating the content and two-thirds of the time marketing it, which, again, I think is terrible advice and not going to create anything significant that will last over time. Um, but that being said, once you have spent that time and you do have something that you think can really stand the test of time, yeah, you can't kind of sit back. I would start, uh, by reaching out to various bloggers once you really kind of craft that story like going back to the young and sick story we didn't go out and just say hey this guy's music is great it's like hey this guy is doing something interesting and so you know if you want press you should probably do something interesting you know that's the first way to start it off
1: yeah and, you have and, to right that's all that's i don't know that's sad but i mean obviously that's the way that it is you can't just walk up and say hey i make good music it's like yeah do get in line like a lot of people make good music so
0: you right. really and, need to
1: say something different
0: right and everybody's kind of waiting back for their big profile in their trade magazine if you're an entrepreneur right yeah entrepreneur magazine is write a profile about me and my company they're probably not you know um (laughs) it's the reality of it they're looking for things that you know their audience will be interested in and so kind of putting yourself in the shoes of a blogger can help you know if you're a say say i'm a blogger the business insider i know that every month i need to get a certain million page views per month that's my job and so you know what headlines what type of stories are going to people to click on them? What type of stories are going to share online? Um, how can I get to that page view quota? And so kind of putting yourself in those shoes and thinking backwards as a business owner and being like, how can I create a story that would help that guy out, you know, get him a bunch of page views is a is kind of the first step in doing it. Hmm, interesting. So
1: you're saying certainly mm-hmm. product does come first and hopefully the cream should rise to the top. That being said, it, with that maybe that 80-20 rule that like 20% of your time should be spent on trying to market yourself in some way. You can't just spend 100% of your time on your product and keep your head down and just hope that, you know, somebody likes your product so much that they write about it.
0: Sure. Or like at least you can expedite the timeline a lot. A good example is Robert Greene might be a good example. So Robert Greene is the author of The 48 Laws of Power, uh, Mastery, The 50th Law, The Art of Seduction and some other huge books. And you know, The 48 Laws of Power It took maybe four years to get on the New York Times bestseller list. It was kind of a slow burn. It came out. Nobody really knew Robert, but it was just such a good book that, you know, over time, word of mouth took over, and now, you know, here we are, I think 10, 15 years later, still selling enough copies to occasionally bounce onto the list, you know, still selling kind of like... Uh, a significant amount of copies every month, but fast forward when he was releasing Mastery's most recent book, we helped him out a little bit on it, and uh, that book, you know, come launch week, we did a kind of a, a concentrated effort to really make it almost like a surround sound. So when that book came out, it it was seemingly everywhere, and again, it was just another killer book that, you know, was extremely well written, but this time it bounced onto the bestseller list the first week and stayed there, you know, for years, you know, a year afterwards. And so I guess like what I'm saying is that like creating a great product should be your first and foremost goal rather than kind of trying to think ahead and jump ahead to all these crazy marketing schemes because um, that's not a great thing to do. But once you do it, you shouldn't, certainly shouldn't just leave everything to chance. You never know what you can get just by, you know, sending an email to somebody or putting it on different people's radars. Just like, you know, again, tracing back to the Young and Six story, had we waited and hoped that different people would have, or even after we got it on Rosecourt, hoping that Pitchfork would have seen it in their, twitter feed uh was again leaving a little bit too much of chance so just a quick email was enough to kind of uh push it over the edge
1: yeah totally man maybe they would have maybe they wouldn't have but why why bother (laughs) with the chance that they wouldn't right what you say like rings so true and makes so much sense about really needing to spend your time honing and crafting your skill and your product or whatever it is because obviously if you if you manage to succeed and you you do a lot of stuff on the media side and you know you get some people to write articles about you people are going to come and check out your product and if your product isn't ready yet they're going to see this really shitty version of your product and then they're not going to want to see it anymore you know like it's like you kind of get one shot for people to come and check out your product and if it's not in its best possible form that's not going to bode very well for
0: you. Right, and even more than just journalists and press, because a lot of times I think people overemphasize the importance of press and like uh, media attention. Particularly, you know, it feels good; it feels great when people write about you, just because you know, at an ego level, it's like, wow, it's amazing. But like direct translation to sales, you know, is always kind of iffy at the very best. Um, and so, like, really, I think that what you're missing if you don't spend a lot of time with product is like your consumers, your people. Like, why should they care about you? Because again, word of mouth is by far the most important thing that's going to grow a product. Um, I even remember I read a McKinsey article not too long ago that 50% of the buying decisions are because of word of mouth. And, you know, you're going to trust your friends more than any article or advertisement or anything on those lines. So really just kind of making sure that you have a product that people care about and feel good enough about to kind of uh, tell their friends about is really, I think, the goal of setting it off.
1: Yeah, definitely, man. So uh, you've talked a lot about a lot of like different super interesting cutting edge ways to market things um how do you stay up on like the current happenings and techniques and stuff like that in the marketing world because i I, it's such this ever-changing and crazy business i got a degree in marketing but i graduated college nine years ago like i might as well have graduated 900 years ago it's like (laughs) irrelevant you know so uh like how are you how are you keeping up on everything
0: yeah. More, I mean, I think that even more so than speci- specific techniques, specific techniques we look at, I look at other book launches when they're coming out. I look at other products when they come out, that type of thing. But, you know, if you really want to be cutting edge, what you should be doing is trying to think of the platforms that aren't really being focused on yet. And, you know, how can you do something creative there uh, in the marketing world? So, you know, a good example is we did one of the big, the first big collaborations with BitTorrent and Tim Ferriss. You know, he put out extra material around his book on BitTorrent and that ended up pushing tens of thousands of sales of his book. Um, we did a BitTorrent bundle with Zed's dead around their last album and that got downloaded well over a million times. So, you know, BitTorrent was something that people were looking at in a strange eye, but like, you know, if you're really looking at it, it's like, well, that's kind of a new interesting platform. How can we do something with them? Um, because it'll, A, it'll get press attention just cause you're doing something unique, but B, you know, they haven't fully figured out, uh, how to charge people for it, I guess would be a way to look at it as mm-hmm. well. So if you mm-hmm. kind of like help them create that model for marketing, then you, know, you might get some of the rewards of figuring it out. Uh, another good example is Young and Sick was the first musician they ever premiered on Ello. I don't know if you remember Elo is that social network that really arose after a lot of people went away from Facebook. They were looking for one where you didn't have to use your real name and all that. Hmm. And so, you know, we looked, when I saw Elo going out, it was like, oh, that's a cool social platform. It's like, well, how can we use that um, for our clients and create some type of interesting collaboration with them um, and that type of stuff? Or even, you know, Rap Genius is another one. We put book uh, excerpts on Rap Genius and had the author ran annotate his, uh, you know, his own writings on Rap Genius. Which- Just typically, you know, exclusively for songs and rap songs of that. so just looking at all these different exciting and interesting platforms out there and how you can kind of like tie that into your marketing is another way uh, to kind of be on the cutting edge of it, I guess. Yeah, definitely,
1: man. Are are you, do you have like a personal checklist as a way to weed out the good or bad ideas and as a way to weed out the good or bad uh, platforms to try? Because obviously today's landscape, it's like every day a new big thing comes out you know yeah. it's like there's periscope um it's like literally every day there's like a new thing that's like i'm telling you like this is going to be the next big thing and obviously they can't all be the next big thing so are you just throwing stuff against the wall to see what sticks or do you have like a little checklist to go over
0: sometimes you know at this point luckily i have the other three partners at brass check that we all kind of throw around ideas and uh make sure that something would be something we kind of like put our finger to the wind and see if that would work out um, but then the end of the day like it well it doesn't cost that much to try stuff. So like you, you mentioned Periscope, one of the things that we wanted to do we haven't done it yet is like just have an author read his entire book on Periscope. That'd be a cool stunt. That would probably get some type of marketing attention, um, or just you know anything that you do. And that's not very a costly thing. And so if it works, it works. If it doesn't, you know it doesn't. But I think that just being open to trying things like that will set you apart quite a bit. Just because. You know at least in my own experience with brass check we have authors that come in and they're like we want to do all these crazy things you know they're down from day one they want the crazy ideas but then when it comes time to pull the trigger nobody actually does to do anything um and so you know if you're the one who tries it, it might not it might not work, but nobody will ever hear about it. But if it works, you know, it could end up being a cool story. So I would just say, be open for experimentation and see what happens.
1: Yeah, definitely. What are some of your suggestions for like personal marketing to try and build up your own brand? It, would that just be like reiterating the same things we've already talked about?
0: Yeah, a lot of it. You know, I, I wish I was better at personal marketing myself because I know a lot of times you can get wrapped up in If you're a big company particularly, it can be hard, but, you know, trying to build a platform of some type is important. If we're talking specifically about publishing these days, you know, publishers give book deals based upon email lists. That's kind of the deal right now. And so, you know, I'm not saying that you should start an email list, but you should probably start an email list. Um, also, (laughs) also, Also beyond that, just like a way for at least people to find you and see what type of ideas you have. And then again, like, you know, writing is an easy one. So creating content and not just creating content for your own blog, you know, trying to find a, you know, a blog to write a guest post for, or just kind of like always trying to find and take your ideas and place them in front of new people, um, is pretty important. So I would, I would definitely, I'm definitely a big fan of content marketing, creating, you know, uh, new content and trying to place it at, you know, different places.
1: So things like that, like, let's say I am a professional photographer Mm and let's say I just love taking photos like i mm-hmm. hate writing i just hate it mm-hmm. so and, and i and I'm, i like hearkening back to like my my teenage self it's like i would i would then view doing some of those things as like selling out you know it's like well i'm an artist like and i'm selling out if sure. i'm doing these things that i don't really even want to be doing or that i don't feel like are coming from a natural place for me um do you feel like that that some of those things are such, like, rock-solid pieces of advice? It's like you you kind of just got to bite the bullet and do it. Like, what? start up some sort of newsletter.
0: I don't care whether or not you don't want to do it. I, I think that, like, you know, it always comes from an authentic place. And I understand the hesitation there because I feel the exact same way. You know, it takes a certain level, level of arrogance to think that people... Uh, want to hear what you have to say, right? I think <laughs> Absolutely. That that's, I think that's why like some of the best inner info marketers are just like complete weirdos that nobody would ever want to hang out with in real life. But like, um, so, you know, it's always like, oh, well, do they really want to, who am I to say all this type of stuff? I guess is one that I always think about. But at the end of the day, like everybody throughout their life has something that they can teach you. And, you know, you have a certain set of skills that probably nobody else has and somebody could definitely benefit from. Um, and so I would kind of like keep that in mind, and if you're not the most comfortable when specifically writing, maybe there's a video that you could create, you know, maybe you could become really popular, you know, on Vine, creating just like five different five second in- like instructional videos with- for your photos, um, maybe creating photo collages, or maybe just using your photos with brief kind of captions underneath them on Medium, you know, there's a lot of different ways to play around with it, but I would always keep in mind that you do certainly, everybody has a certain set of uh, knowledge that I'm sure other people would love to hear
1: that's such a good point man i love the fact that you talk about the mental piece of that because that's so true that maybe it's not the fact that you don't like writing maybe it's the fact that you feel like you don't have anything good to say but uh you gotta be a bigger fan of yourself than that um let's talk about the lessons that you learned from starting up your hostel last year which has already had just phenomenal success so uh, congratulations by the way like that's incredible to have such success so quickly that's amazing
0: yeah, it was definitely unexpected, and it was certainly kind of like uh, different than I that I ever uh, anticipated going into a brick and mortar business today. You know, I, I deal with a lot of kind of online stuff, so having to get approval from the city and different things like that was certainly a, a testing period. But it was one that I learned just so much from, and uh, just it was a very valuable experience. Uh, I think that early on, one of the biggest things that we learned, and one that I always go back to, is that you know we're a hostel and. It's always kind of like this unspoken thing that hostels serve breakfast, but there's, never, there's no rule that hostels have to serve breakfast. And so early on, I was kind of looking at all the reviews online of other hostels, and they were always complaining about breakfast. So everywhere was complaining, you know, the breakfast is terrible, it was rotten eggs, it was this, it was that. And so instead of trying to like figure out how we were going to serve the best breakfast ever, we just kind of thought, why are we going to serve breakfast at all? Let's just take that out of the equation and see how it works out. And so far, it's worked out great. Yeah, we, we have great reviews. Last year, we were the highest rated on HostelWorld.com, which is the biggest uh, hostel rating site out there. And so I think any, in any industry, it's always easy to try to think of competitors' weaknesses as advantages and something that you can one-up them on. But try to think, like, why are the competitors failing at that? And is it something that really is beneficial to my clients? Um, that's one of the biggest things we learned early on.
1: Brent you have so uh, I'm gonna put a link to the the article that I read where you go over that's that the point you just gave was the first point in this article um, that you wrote for observer but it is such an unbelievably well-written awesome article about these um, eight it's eight lessons right like that you learned Mm -hmm. when you were starting your your business and uh Man, each one is so well thought out and are things that are, are not at all the typical things that people tell you and like, Oh, this is what you need to work on with your business. Or, Oh, keep this in mind. Like zero of the points that you had on your list are typical things that people would say. And as someone who, you know, started my own business in the past year, it's like every single thing on your list was very apparent. You know, it's like, I've experienced these things or I wish that someone had told me these things or, or whatever it was. And you, you have such an unbelievable way. Um, and it's like everything's like coming full circle now, learning more about you and your your marketing brain and stuff and uh, the way that you work in marketing. You have such this wonderful way of really looking at things from outside the box. Like a lot of people and a lot of companies strive for that and they like talk about, you know, we need to think outside the box. We need to try to go at this from a different angle. But they're so deep inside the box that they just like can't get out of it, you know? Um And man, your way of thinking is so good. And that, yeah, that point is so well made that just because somebody else is doing something poorly, that doesn't mean that that's now an opportunity for you. Maybe there's a really good reason why they're doing it poorly and that's because it's really hard to do. (laughs) And you should just skip it entirely and move on to
0: something else. Yeah, thank you so much for saying that. It's, It's going back to what we said just a minute ago, like putting that out. I was like, who am I to like give business lessons? You know, like I have a hostel in Austin and it's like my first year of business. How am I going to like relay anything that is interesting to anybody? And so I had those same hesitations uh, about putting out anything. And I was like, oh, this doesn't feel quite right. But since I put that out, I've gotten maybe 20 or 30 emails from people just, you know, pouring out like, oh, this has helped me so much. And it's really emphasized the fact that like, yeah, we all have something to teach. And even if yeah, you just have a a small hostel in Austin, Texas, uh, it's, you can say something that really resonates with people. Um, and it's been a great experience as well.
1: Absolutely, man. Brent, normally this would be the part of the show where we would ask you for some advice or I would ask you for some advice, but I, that's been basically the entirety of the show. So I'm not going to do that, but, um, I'm going to go ahead and put up links on the half hour intern website for everything, like for your article, for your hostel. I definitely want to come stay there. Like I'm just such a fan of you now after talking to you, um, you're, just such a a bright and amazing person so thanks so much for coming on the show man
0: no thank you this has been a lot of fun you know i, I don't do too many i've never done with these so this is this has been a lot of fun uh great connecting and yeah i'm looking forward to hosting you you know uh come on down first beers on me and we'll have a good time
1: well, <laughs> awesome thanks Brent. take care man see you Hey everyone, it's Blake. Hope you all enjoyed the episode. If you're sitting there thinking to yourself, I wonder how I could help Blake out. First of all, you are probably the nicest person in the entire world. Secondly, all you have to do is just tell a friend about the show. I would really appreciate it. If you're sitting there and thinking man, my job is really interesting, or man, I do this totally badass hobby, I should totally be on this show, then you totally should be on the show. Just reach out to me on halfhourintern.com, my website. You can email me through there. And uh, if there is another job or hobby that you don't do, but you just want to hear about it, you can submit any sort of idea through the Submit Your Ideas link on the page. Thanks again for listening. Take care.